WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio proudly presents the Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell, spiritual advisor to WSFI and pastor of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and St. Therese in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, it's good to be in this new year of 2022. And... <clears throat> I'm so happy to be with you here today for another Marian Hour, and I'm going to ask you to join with me in my favorite Marian prayer, which is the Memorare. So let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> well, I thought I would talk today, um, as I did last year, if those of you who remember way back a year ago, uh, at this time in January, I, I'll, I'm going to speak once again on a devotion that's not too well known to Our Lady, the, the title, uh, actually, Our Lady of Prompt Succor. And this devotion has an interesting, you could say, uh, genesis uh, coming to be. Okay, And <clears throat> we go back to the year 1727. Okay, And at that time, a group of French nuns uh, belonging to the Order of St. Ursula okay, uh, that was founded by St. Angela Marisi in the 16th century. She dedicated her order under the patronage of St. Ursula. Okay. And I have a great, I had a great aunt, okay, my, my father's aunt, who was an Ursula nun in Decatur, Illinois. There's uh, a, a high school there, St. Teresa Academy in Decatur. My great aunt, an Ursula nun, she taught there for 50 years. Anyway, <clears throat> in 1727, this group of Ursula nuns from France, they started a monastery and a school in New Orleans. Now, I've never been to New Orleans. Have you ever been to New Orleans, Angela? I have, yes. You have? Okay. Well, uh, someday I hope to get there. Um, the school, the Ursuline Academy, is the oldest school for girls in the territory of the modern-day U.S. Okay. And they educated... Uh, not only European colonists, but as was our custom, and you know, Catholics, we educate anyone. Native Americans, they educated Creoles, whether they were slave or free, didn't matter. They would educate anyone. 
And <coughs> well, this began in 1727. In 1763, if you know the history of uh, our our land before it became the United States, um, 1763, the French lost control of Louisiana, and it fell under the control of the Spanish, Spanish rule. And Spanish sisters came to assist the growing school. Uh, fast forward to 1800, okay? The territory comes back into French possession. But this is under Napoleon. And the nuns, uh, I think maybe who, who the sisters who ran the school uh, may be fearful of what would happen because Napoleon wasn't too friendly with the Catholic Church, didn't treat it all that well. Um, they, they left for Havana, Cuba. Well, in 1803, something happens. I'm going to test your knowledge, Angela, okay, of, of history. Okay, um, Thomas Jefferson, president, he makes a big purchase. Do you know what that is called? I would guess the Louisiana Purchase. That's right. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Well, the Louisiana Purchase uh, took place in 1803. So this territory, uh, which was under French possession, now is under the control of the United States. And the, uh, the sisters, they wrote a letter to the president, Thomas Jefferson, asking that their property be returned to them and they be, be allowed to return to to their um, Ursuline Academy. And he gave permission for them to do that. In fact, there's a letter from Thomas Jefferson that, that uh, gives the permission for, for them to do so. Um, but not all the sisters returned and uh, they were short of teachers. So the superior, who was Mother Mattier, okay, she writes to her cousin, who's a sister, uh, Mother Saint-Michel in France, who, who was running a Catholic girls boarding school and asked her to send more sisters to Louisiana to help them out. And so Mother Saint-Michel, she wrote to her bishop, this is in France, asking permission that she, along with some other sisters, be transferred to New Orleans. But the bishop, her bishop, Fournier was his name. Uh, we don't know why. Maybe he just wanted to <laughs> pass the baton or whatever, or, or uh, you could say uh, uh, get rid of this problem. He advised her that uh, only the pope could give this authorization. Uh, however, getting the pope's permission to grant them travel uh, a transfer to New Orleans was almost impossible. And there's a good reason for that, because in the early 1800s, the Pope at that time, Pius VII, was a prisoner. <laughs> uh, under guess whom? Napoleon? Napoleon, yes. He was a prisoner under Napoleon. And um, Mother San Michel knew that it was extremely unlikely the Pope would even receive her letter. Okay. So what did she do? She prayed before a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary. 
And this was the prayer she prayed. Okay. O most holy Virgin Mary, if you obtain for me a prompt and favorable answer to this letter, I promise to have you honored at New Orleans under the title of Our Lady of Prompt Succor. Okay. Or Lady of Prompt Help, you could say. Okay. Some don't understand the word succor, okay? Okay, so, well, guess what happened? Our Lady came through for Mother uh, San Michel, and she sent her letter of petition on March 19th, 1809. St. Joseph. That's the feast day of St. Joseph, yes. So, and she received a letter back from Pope Pius VII granting permission exactly 40 days later, April 29th, 1809. And at that time, receiving a, an answer from Europe when you write a letter, much less the Pope, in a month, this was unheard of. It was considered a miracle. So Mother San Michel commissioned an artist to carve a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary holding the infant Jesus with robes flowing, okay? And this was to convey the idea artistically that Mary would move quickly, promptly, in answer to prayers. And her Bishop Fournier blessed the statue. Oh. And uh, the work of, of Mother San Michel, her, her journey to, to you know, the New World, to New Orleans. Okay, so Mother San Michel, she arrives in New Orleans with the statue of Our Lady of Prompt Succor on December 31st, 1810. She's got several postulants with her, and the statue was placed in the monastery chapel of the old Ursuline convent on Chartres Street in the French Quarter. When you were in New Orleans, did you visit the French Quarter? I bet you did, Angela. Sadly, yes. Yes, okay. <laughs> okay, well, now, now we get to the good part. Two miracles have been attributed to the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary under the title Our Lady of Prompt Succor. The first one was in 1812, and uh, there was a great fire in New Orleans, in the year 1812, and <clears throat> in that fire, uh, the Ursuline convent was facing uh, imminent destruction. The winds were blowing, terrible fire coming toward them, and um, they were ordered by the authorities to evacuate the convent. But at that moment, a nun who was there, Sister Anthony, placed a replica of the big statue of Our Lady of, of Prompt Sucker, a small statue, a replica, um, on a window seat, a window sill, and Mother San Michelle began to pray aloud, Our Lady of Prompt Sucker, we are lost unless you hasten to our aid. And immediately, the wind shifted direction blowing the flames away from the convent, allowing for the fire to be extinguished. And the Ursuline convent was one of the few buildings that was spared from this destruction. Okay. And uh, 
This was, I guess, likened to the Chicago fire, okay? Um, well, that's the first miracle from the intercession or through the intercession of Our Lady under her title, Our, Our Lady of Prompt Succor. The second miracle takes place three years afterwards. Okay. Um, <coughs> in 1812, something began between Britain and the U.S. Do you know what that was? Was it the British-American War? The War of 1812. 1812, okay. yeah. Yes, okay. So, uh, three years later, this war is still going on between the U.S. and England. And in 1815, uh, General Andrew Jackson is commanding forces in the South. Okay. Um, and <clears throat> in a great battle, the Battle of New Orleans, okay, uh, his troops faced the British. His, he kind of had a a group of, of, of soldiers that were not all that well-trained. Uh, that's the story. Uh, the British soldiers were highly trained. And they met on the plains of Chalmette, okay, in, in outside of, of New Orleans. And one account I read, it said that the American troops numbered 6,000, the, the British highly trained, you know, uh, soldiers numbered 15,000. So that's like two and a half times. Well, um, my, my friend, Monsignor Arthur Calkins, um, a great uh, theologian, especially a Marian scholar, um, he is in the parish church of Our Lady of Prompt Succor in Louisiana. Okay. And just a couple of days ago, he sent out a, a, a note um, a notice um, talking about the fact that he's he's at this parish and um, and he says and this is probably more local your okay um, that General Andrew Jackson was outnumbered ten to one, wow. not just two and a half to one. So I guess it's depending upon where you are and your historians, but. Um, you know, we have uh, someone very close to um, this this um, great event, the Battle of New Orleans, and, and the devotion we're talking about because Monsignor Calkins is at the Church of Our Lady of Prom Sucker in Louisiana, okay? So on the eve of the Battle of New Orleans, that's what we're talking about here, uh, the residents in that city joined the Ursuline nuns at their convent in the French Quarter to pray throughout the night, imploring the help of Our Lady of Prompt Succor. And on the morning of January 8th, the very Reverend Louis William de Bourg, okay, he was the Vicar General, he was later Bishop of New Orleans, okay, he offered a mass on the altar on which the statue of Our Lady of Prompt Succor had been placed. Now, I'll say something about Bishop, uh, he became Bishop uh, Louis de Bourg. Father de Bourg came to this country. He was a, a French Sulpician, the Order of St. Sulpice. Okay. And um, uh, in the late 1700s, at the request of the first bishop of the United States, okay, 
And uh, I'll throw this out to you, Angela. I'll really be impressed if you know who the first bishop was of the United States. He was. Was he in Baltimore? He was. Yeah, that's John Carroll, maybe. That's right. Whoa, My gosh. I was, I'm just on a roll. Oh, I thought yes. I was having a bad day today. Yes, too. Bishop John Carroll. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, he appointed Father de Bourg, who was really an educator, okay, known for his work in education, as president of the first Catholic college in these United States. Do you know what that is? The first Catholic college? Well, I'm guessing Emmitsburg or in Baltimore. Well, no, uh, no, even no. before that, the first Catholic college. It I is should know that, but Georgetown. I, oh, I did not know yes, that. Yes, Georgetown. Georgetown was the first Catholic college? Yes. What year was that, Father? I'm not sure of the founding, but it, the late 1700s, oh. uh, Father de Bourg becomes the uh, president of Georgetown College. Okay, And by 17... 98, he, he returns to Baltimore, where he had been before, okay? And he founded St. Mary's College, and um, this was a preparatory school for boys, a college for young men. And then on a trip to New York City in 1806, he meets a young widow who is a convert from Anglicanism. Can you guess who that is? This is a guess, Seton. Okay. That's it. Is it really? His mother, Seton. Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton. Yeah. Okay, so um, he encounters her. He's impressed by her mission, and he invites her to move with her her children, because she was had been married. Her husband had died. Okay, uh, to Baltimore, where he made arrangements for them to take up residence at a, at a house owned by the Sulpician Fathers. And um, it was actually Bishop Carroll that, and I think Father de Borg had, had a hand in this too, encouraged uh, her to open a school for girls and um, f form a community for women. And I, I, I know it was, it was Bishop Carroll, and maybe Bishop, uh, Father de Borg had, had a hand in this too, to um, take on the with this religious community to to have a religious order, they basically took the the uh, they they uh, founded uh, the Daughters of Charity, which was already a religious order in France in this country. Okay, so uh, so Mother Seton um, was foundress in this country of the Daughters of Charity, the branch of it in this country, and she she's really the, the founders of Catholic schools in, in the United States. Okay. Anyway, in 1812, um, then Archbishop John Carroll, he appoints Father de Borg the apostolic administrator of the Diocese of Louisiana and the Floridas. Okay. So he takes up residence in New Orleans, which became the seat of the new diocese, and he was consecrated a bishop on September 24th, 1815. I'll just continue, you know, after traveling to Europe to raise funds, recruit personnel for his diocese, he relocates then to St. Louis, where he founded a seminary and St. Louis Latin Academy, which developed into St. Louis University. Wow. That's the beginning of St. Louis University. He ended up returning to France, becoming a bishop well, he was bishop there, and he died in 1833. Anyway, back to um, the morning of January 8th of 1815, okay? So very reverend Louis de Burke, he's the vicar general 
of this whole area. Okay, this is before he's ordained a bishop. That'll come some months later in the same year. Okay, okay, so uh, he's praying before offering mass. Uh, the statue of Our Lady of Prom Sucker is there on the altar, and cannon fire could be heard. Okay, that's how close you know things were, and um, uh, the prioress of the Ursuline convent uh, at that time, Mother Olivier de Vezin, uh, made a vow to have a mass of thanksgiving sung annually should the American forces win. And at that very moment, uh, the very moment of their Holy Communion, okay, a courier ran into the chapel and informed everyone present that the British had been defeated. Wow. And this defeat was, you could say, miraculous. Okay. I, I mentioned, you know, according to Monsignor Calkins, they were the Americans troops were outnumbered ten to one, and but w how they won was interesting because uh, a, a, a fog settled over the British troops. They wandered into a swamp, and the battle was over in a half hour. The U.S. lost seven men. Okay, only that was it. So this was this was truly miraculous, and um, so they ended the mass. You know, after communion, they heard this. They sung the Te Deum, which is a traditional prayer of thanksgiving. Okay, General Jackson made uh, paid a special visit to the Ursulines and thanked them for their prayers to Our Lady of Prompt Succor. And a statue of General Jackson's bust, who later became President Jackson, of course, is there. And Jackson stated, the divine providence of God through the intercession of Our Lady of Prompt Succor has shielded us and granted us a stupendous miracle. Okay. Well, I'll finish with a little more on Our Lady of Prompt Succor when we return after a short break. I'm Ava Burke, a producer here at WSFI and a junior at Carmel Catholic High School. We are hoping to expand WSFI to reach up to 8 million people in the Chicagoland area. To help us reach this goal, please donate to WSFI Catholic Radio. WSFI has been a vital radio station with getting the word out to so many people. Many conversions have happened through WSFI and it has brought countless people back to the church and into the faith. But we cannot expand without your financial help. Please take a moment now to make a donation and go to WSFICatholicRadio.org or mail your check to P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Thank you for your help in making this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity happen. 
Hello, I'm David Delighton from the Center for Medical Progress with the Planned Parenthood videos. Catholic Radio is so important to the pro-life movement because it's our Catholic faith that teaches us about the true value and dignity of the human person and the inestimable worth of every single beautiful child of God. And that's a message that all of us need to hear and need to continue to pay attention to and be inspired by every day of our lives and work. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Hello, this is Father Dwight Campbell, back for the second segment of our Marian Hour. Uh, today, we are in the new year of 2022. This is the first show of the new year. And I'm speaking today about um, the Battle of New Orleans and Our Lady of Prompt Succor. That I'll just recap uh, quickly that, you know, the 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 Battle of New Orleans, General Andrew Jackson's troops were outnumbered. Um, different accounts say different figures. I, I got it from this this number from Monsignor Arthur Calkins, uh, a friend of mine, a great Marian theologian, who said that the American troops, a ragtag group made up of men from a few states, was was outnumbered ten to one by the highly trained British troops. The Ursuline sisters. Uh, we're praying to Our Lady of Mount Succor. The uh, Vicar General, Father de Bourg, was offering Mass. And uh, just at communion time, the courier comes in and says the British were defeated. A fog had come in. The British troops wandered into a swamp. And only seven U.S. deaths. The battle was over in one half hour. Truly miraculous. And... Um, the Mother Superior then, at the time, uh, pledged that uh, they would have uh, a Mass sung on that date uh, every year in, in perpetuity. And um, in honor of Our Lady of Prompt Succor, her intercession, and <clears throat> even General Jackson paid tribute to the Ursula nuns and, and thanked them for their prayers, and to Our Lady of Prompt Succor. He, he, he acknowledged that. And an annual Mass of Thanksgiving has been held January 8th ever since. And Monsignor Calkins, uh, in an email I received just a couple of days ago, <clears throat> said that the feast of January 8th is a solemnity throughout the state of Louisiana. And um, 
in the in the 1962 missile, I'm not sure the reason why, but the 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 date is January 15th rather than January 8th. But I think in in Louisiana, it's celebrated on January 8th. This this solemnity. And <clears throat> Monsignor Calkin said that the statue above the high altar at the Shrine Church of Our Lady of Prom Succor in New Orleans, where he's at, stationed, uh, is the original, beautiful, uh, with flowing robes. As I said, that's how um, uh, Mother San Michel, back in the early 1800s, had, had the statue um, uh, carved to symbolize Our Lady's promptness in answering prayers. Okay? And here's another historical tidbit. Okay? In 1851, uh, Blessed Pope Pius IX approved devotion to Our Lady under this title, Our Lady of Prompt Succor, and authorized public devotion to her under that title and, um, and designated uh, the feast day as well. And uh, the 200th anniversary of Our Lady, the Battle of New Orleans, and Our Lady of Prom Succor, her intercession, occurred in 2015. Commemorative events were held for that. Okay, and uh, <clears throat> there is a litany I found on the on the internet of Our Lady of Prom Succor. I'll just read a few verses of this here. Um, Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. And then, uh, Holy Mary, pray for us. Mother of the Infant Jesus, pray for us because. The statue of Our Lady of Prompt Succor depicts Mary holding the baby Jesus in her arms. Um, Our Lady of Prompt Succor, of all who invoke you with confidence, pray for us. Our Lady of Prompt Succor, of all who are devout toward the infant Jesus, pray for us. Our Lady of Prompt Succor, for obtaining a lively faith, pray for us. Okay. And it goes on with a, a whole litany, because it is a litany of 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 um, phrases which honor uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary under this beautiful title. There's even a traditional novena, a nine-day novena, in honor of Our Lady of Prompt Succor. And um, anyway, <clears throat> I'm going to turn now, in the second segment of the Marian Hour, to um, a feast that... Um, is traditionally celebrated on January 23rd. In some places, uh, France, Canada, January 22nd, uh, which is the, the um, uh, in this country at least, it is, uh, the bishops have designated it the day where we pray for, for uh, respect for life because that is the, the date, the anniversary date of the, the horrific Roe versus Wade decision which permitted abortion on demand throughout the nine months of pregnancy and has resulted in more than 60 million preborn babies being killed in this country. Anyway, um, I, I have a guest that has just joined us today. He's smiling. Uh, Mark Curran. Um, Mark, welcome. And, you know, I just have to say something here, okay? Sure. Um, I asked... I asked Angela in the the first segment of my show here, all these, what I thought were tough questions. Okay, okay? 
history of the United States and about the church. She she knocked everyone out of the ballpark. She got every question correct. I've never stumped her, I think, on a question. Oh, I bet you have, Father. Oh, well. I, I was saying we should have a, uh, just a show, try to stump Angela. <laughs> We're both Jesuit educated, but she went to better schools. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, I... I, I the first segment I talked about the Battle of New Orleans, Our Lady of Prom Sucker, which Our Lady's intercession won the battle for General Jackson, outnumbered 10 to 1 against the Brits back in, in 1815. And I've moved on now to, to speaking about uh, another feast. I was just going to mention it before you walked in. Okay. It's customarily January 23rd. Uh, in some countries, January 22nd. Other countries have different dates as well. It's the espousals of Our Lady. Okay. There's a feast of Our, Our Lady being espoused to St. Joseph. And um, um, according to tradition, you know, this, is, this is how it originates, okay. Uh, you know, Our Lady went to the temple. She was, she was consecrated to God at three years of age. Her parents, Saints Joachim and Anne, they, they um, bring her to the temple and and it's goodbye, okay, she's, she's formed there as, as one of the virgins in the temple, but it was customary when they became of marriageable age that they would marry. And uh, this is, you know, typically, you know, uh, a, a Jewish girl would, would marry at like, like 14 years of age, okay, that was right. about a common 13 for Mary, wasn't it? Uh, it, it? We're not sure, okay, yeah. you know, 13, 14 years of right. age, and... Um, so um, St. Joseph was one of these who um, was gathered. There was a custom of, of the men of the tribe of Judah. Joseph was of the tribe of Judah. And we know from, from the Gospels, St. Luke, St. Matthew, that he was not only of the tribe of Judah, but the descendant of the first king from the tribe yeah. of Judah. David. David, yes. So Joseph, um, he is assembled with these other men um, to, uh, you know, say, cast their lot in order to uh, enter into marriage with the Blessed Virgin Mary, with 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 um, this young this young virgin. Okay, and now Father, can I say one thing? Yes. So yeah, I, I took my mom years ago to see Joseph and the. Amazing Technicolor uh, dream Dreamcoat. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's so. that's Joseph of the Old Testament. Right. 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 But the line we we um, say now, "Go to Joseph," comes actually from the Book of Genesis, right. where um, you know Joseph's brothers were told to go to him for assistance when you know there was the, the drought and the, right. they had no no grain okay grain. anyway uh so so joseph is assembled with men from jerusalem from the tribe of judah and um they would pray to the high priest uh to be chosen and to, to be shown a sign that they were chosen to uh Become, you know, the, the the spouse of of a virgin, and this this in this case it's Mary. Okay, and according to the tradition, okay, and 
I've seen this in, in many places. It's been handed down. Uh, the high priest told the men, they, they were all given staffs, okay? Um, basically a little, like a little scepter or, or a, 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 a wooden, or a, a, a staff of uh, uh, a little pole, you could say, okay, right. to hold in their hands. And uh, in the midst of their prayers, the staff that Joseph was holding, this poor carpenter, okay, the top of it blossoms into a white lily, and a dove is seen hovering over his head, a pure white dove. And so this is the sign they, they take that, okay, this is the man that should be espoused to um, Mary, okay, this, this virgin. And uh, God spoke to Mary's heart, too, that that Joseph was acceptable, and uh, so then they are betrothed. Now, before this happened, Mary, we, we know, okay, and this is, this is part of sacred tradition, actually, Mary made a vow. What was that vow? Before they were married, what was Mary's? Yes, uh, be before, before they're betrothed. Yeah, okay. be it done unto me. Before that, okay, oh. this is before... The, 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 the Annunciation takes place after the betrothal, okay? Oh. Okay. But before the betrothal, before this, this ceremony where, you know, Joseph's, you know, his, his staff blossoms with the lily, okay? Mary had, made, Mary had made a vow. It's in Scripture, but implicitly, okay? Um, do you know what that was? Would it be perpetual virginity? Yes, Mary made a vow of perpetual virginity. And we know this... How do we know this? Because um, when the angel announces to Mary that she will be the mother of God okay, at the Annunciation, and this is after after the betrothal, because Saint right. Luke tells us that the virgin that the the archangel Gabriel was sent to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Okay, so the betrothal had already taken place in Jewish weddings or marriages, two stages. One, the betrothal, which was the legal marriage, okay? It was like our, our uh, engagement, but you were legally, under Jewish law, married at the betrothal, but you were not living together yet, okay? That comes the, the celebration, okay? That, like the wedding at Cana, okay? Which I'll talk about in my third segment today, okay? Anyway, so the angel comes to Mary, announces you will... Um, you will conceive and bear a son and name him Jesus. What does Mary say in response to that? She well, says, yeah. how can this be since I do not know man? Now, um, this is evidence that Mary had taken a vow of virginity because normally if, if, if you were a young woman, you're engaged betrothed to a man, and an angel would come to you and say, oh, you're going to conceive and bear a son. You would say, oh, okay, when you would think naturally when, I'm, when I come together with my, my, uh, my, my husband, okay, when I, I begin to live with him, we'll have relations, I'll have a husband. Mary says, no, how can this happen? Because I do not know man. Now, that indicates, St. Augustine was the first great author to say this, that Mary is showing that she never intended to have relations with Joseph. She was willing to do God's will. You know, if God said, you know, if the angel said to her, hey, have relations with Joseph, 
and this is how the 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 Messiah will be conceived she would have done this but the angel assures her that she will maintain her virginity he says you will conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit so yeah can I ask you some questions along those lines sure okay so I I'm always say that the church 2,000 years of church doctors like yourself there's no way that I'm smart enough to I'm not a doctor of the well church, you're, you're <laughs> a really smart guy so I, I don't really question I just accept everything but the Protestants would say to you you know that the Catholics did that uh, just to make Mary seem like all pure and everything else but that it's it's nonsense and let, let me let yeah. me let me answer that do you know who defended the virginity of Mary uh, who Martin never Luther. questioned Luther. Luther. Yeah. Everyone. Right. Uh, Melanchthon, all these Protestants, this was commonly accepted. Right. Okay. So the, the Protestants don't even know their own tradition. Right. When they're saying, oh, Mary had other children. No. No, Mary was a virgin. What century was, did that become doctrinal with the, that uh, Mary's a virgin? Well, this, uh, well, it was always a doctrine of the church, okay. always a teaching in, in this, in the, Eighth century, um, the uh, the Lateran Council uh, under Pope Martin the First really proclaimed it a dogma. Okay, he said anyone who denies this anathema that Mary is a virgin in conceiving, in giving birth, and forever afterwards. So why was it so important from the perspective of God the Father that? Mary continue to be a virgin and not have relations. Well, it, it gives more honor to Christ because her womb is sanctified. She's the God-bearer. She's the new Ark of the Covenant. Okay, Joseph would never have thought of having relations with Mary, knowing that she conceived the and, and bore in her womb the Son of God, who became man. Okay, this was off limits. You know, think of this. I use this this. What I'm about to say with a Protestant student when I was teaching uh, scripture back 30-some years ago, uh, I had a Protestant kid in class. And, I, and we had already learned that in the temple of Jerusalem, uh, the temple was built by King Solomon, okay? And uh, that part of the temple which housed the Ark of the Covenant was called the Holy of Holies. No one could enter into the Holy of Holies, only the high priest once a year. If you entered in, you would be struck dead because that was holy ground. You were not allowed to step in because the Ark of the Covenant had the Word of God written on stone, contained in it. Okay. Now, after the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians and rebuilt, okay, the Ark of the Covenant was gone, but the Holy of Holies rebuilt. You still could not enter into the Holy of Holies, only the high priest once a year because that had been the place where the Ark of the Covenant had rested. Now, Mary didn't con in her womb didn't have two stone tablets with the Word of God written on them. She had the Word made flesh. So um, this is out of respect for God that you know, Mary just would have had no other children. Absolutely not. Okay? Christ was her only child, and her womb was sanctified. She is the new Ark of the Covenant. And uh, this is this is accepted teaching from the very beginning of the church. Okay? Do you think it's hard to understand today, Father, because the the true uh, purpose of sexuality has been lost? Uh, no, I don't think it's difficult. If if it's explained to people, they get it. I mean, I this the Protestant kid in my class. You know, once I made this analogy between 
you know, not entering into the Holy of Holies even after the Ark was gone. And he said, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And, yeah. and, and Mary's womb was still a sacred place. Okay? She's still the, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the new Ark of the Covenant after uh, Jesus is born. So anyway, I see we're coming up on 20 seconds left. Station break? Station um, break, yes. Should we give a plug to quickly to WSFI Catholic Radio, 88.5 FM, 7.50 AM. Please dial in and, and contribute whatever you can. 224, what is it, Angela? 206-8455. So that's, that's it. I just heard uh, Ava saying it on the way up here. What a, you know, please help us. an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. Hi, my name is Irene Sherapata. My husband Alex and I are volunteers for WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is our family's source of truthful and trustworthy information regarding the Catholic faith, the church, our religion, and state of the world in these trying times. My husband Alex and I are greatly rewarded for our volunteer work at WSFI by working with such lovable and like-minded people and by meeting and hearing firsthand some of our, the most respected, wise, and interesting guest speakers. Its programmings on healing the whole person has helped so many and is truly inspired by God. This radio station is really a school of Catholic thought and source of wisdom. We have learned so much, and our faith and love for God has increased so much that we hope to share it with everyone we meet. We hope and pray that WSFI 88.5 FM would soon reach the entire Chicagoland population. You too can help WSFI bring millions of souls to God. See how you can support their effort by calling WSFI Catholic Radio at 224-206-8455 or online at wsficatholicradio.org for your donation. Thank you very much, and uh, God bless you. Amen. 
back with the third segment. Father Dwight Campbell back with the third segment of the Marian Hour today. And um, I was uh, speaking in the second segment about Our, Our Lady's espousals, a feast day. It's a traditional feast, not celebrated you know, uh, uh, on the calendar all over. But um, usually January 23rd or in, in France, Canada, January 22nd. And uh, Mary was espoused to St. Joseph. Mary had taken a vow of virginity. And um, Joseph didn't know this, of course, when, when he was first espoused to Mary. But he, he learned it and accepted it. That's the tradition. Okay. And, um, but after the espousal, the betrothal of, of Joseph, his, he's standing outside the temple, the high priest you know, is, is uh, asking for a sign. All these young men from the tribe of Judah have staffs in their hand. From Joseph's staff blossoms a, uh, a, a white lily, a dove settles over his head, indicating that he's to be the husband of Mary. And um, they are betrothed, legally married under the Jewish law. Now, they didn't come together to live together until after the Annunciation. And um, we know that when Mary starts showing, okay, when it's, people realize that she's with child, Joseph um, doesn't know what to do, okay, um, because he's, he realizes Mary is holy and, and, you know, she would never be unfaithful to him. And he, in his confusion, and, and some say, and I think the better authors, I, I, I would agree with this, that Joseph um, maybe was given a private revelation because Mary didn't tell him. We don't have evidence of that, uh, that she was with child by the Holy Spirit. But Joseph was going to just put her away quietly uh, out, of, out of a reverential fear. I'm not worthy to, to take this role until the angel assures him. And we get this from St. Matthew, because what does, Saint, what does the angel tell St. Matthew in the dream? He says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. So to overcome all your fears, I'm not worthy of this. So Joseph takes Mary to be um, his wife. Okay. And um, actually, I'll, I'll mention something else here. Uh, the first um, uh, definite knowledge of a feast in honor of the espousals of Mary dates from August 29th, 1517. That's the year Martin Luther, you know, hammered his uh, objections up, up on the church door uh, to, the, to, to the Catholic Church. Um, it was granted by Pope Leo X to nuns of the Annunciation. And um, about 20 years later, um, the Franciscans were granted this feast to celebrate. The Servites were granted it as well. Uh, they celebrated it on different dates. The Franciscans, October 22nd. The Servites, Servants of Mary, on March 7th. And um, uh, actually, back in the 1400s, there was a, a very holy man, uh, Jean Gerson. And um, he was one of the first real energetic propagators of devotion to St. Joseph. And he wanted a feast in honor of the espousals of Mary and Joseph to be celebrated. And it turned out that this feast that 
came about, well, it only kind of focused on Mary, not St. Joseph. So it, it, it didn't really um, satisfy the, um, the desires of, of uh, Jean Gerson. But um, anyway, the, it's, it's, it's a beautiful feast, this idea of, of Mary and Joseph being espoused. And um, January 23rd or 22nd, these are the common dates now where, where this feast is celebrated. Now, I'm going to move on to one more thing with seven minutes left, okay? Does, do either of you, Angela or, or Mark, Mark Kern's with us today, by the way. I mentioned that. Uh, in, in the previous segment, okay? The gospel for the Sunday. Does anyone know what the gospel for the Sunday is going to be, okay? The gospel yeah. for this Sunday. This Sunday's gospel is the third event which is related to the Epiphany, okay? The Epiphany, in, in going back into the early church, three events were related to the idea of Epiphany or manifestation of Christ, okay? He's as... as uh, Lord, King, and God, okay? The, right. the, the one we, we commonly know, uh, the feast we celebrate, uh, Epiphany, the, the Magi come, okay? The second is the baptism, okay? That was associated with Epiphany as well because that was the, 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 oh. the feast last Sunday because, you know, the, the Father speaks, this is my beloved Son, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form was of a dove. Was it one of the readings last Sunday from uh, when Christ stays behind in the temple? Uh, no, no. Um, oh. uh, la last Sunday was the the, the I was, baptism. I went to mass, Father. Okay. <laughs> last Sunday was the baptism of our Lord. Okay. okay? Gosh. So, so Christ is baptized um, by by John. Okay. And uh, but the third event that's linked with Epiphany, and this was in the mind of the early church. Three events were celebrated Epiphany. Uh, the third event is what we're going to be celebrating, or the gospel for the Sunday. It's not a separate feast, but it's linked with the early idea of epiphany. What was the first manifestation of Christ's divinity by a miracle? The um, wedding Cana. feast of Cana. Yeah, it's Cana. That's it. That's the gospel for the Sunday. Oh. And it's only in year C that this happens. We're in year C, so once every third year, the gospel following the feast of the baptism, okay, you have the epiphany, and you have the baptism of our Lord, and you have the Sunday after that is the wedding at Cana. Did historically the epiphany con was considered to be the 6th to the 8th of January? Well, uh, usually the 6th is, is, is okay. epiphany, okay? And, and um, um, what with the Magi coming, okay? Um, so... The Sunday's Gospel, as I said, it's the second chapter of St. John begins with this account of the wedding at Cana. Uh, I was blessed to have been in Cana about uh, two and a half years ago, um, just a little more than two years ago on a, on a pilgrimage. And um, I went to the church that I offered Mass at Cana, actually, and uh, we learn from from St. John, he's the only one who relates the, the event, okay, uh, that there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. The wine runs short. The mother of Jesus says to him, they have no wine. 
Now that's interesting. Okay, so so Mary doesn't say, uh, "Would you please, you know, perform a miracle and and make some more wine?" What if she just makes the statement that they have no more wine or they're out of wine. Okay, now to run out of wine at a Jewish wedding was really an embarrassment because weddings went on. You know, like I, I explained a little earlier, the Jewish weddings, two um, segments, okay? The betrothal, but you weren't living together yet, okay? You would begin living together at the formal celebration, okay? The, 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 the husband would take his wife home, and that's what the, this wedding at Cana is. And these weddings would go on sometimes for four days, you know, on end, okay? And you would have the best foods, the choicest wines, okay? And this is precisely why Jesus, what is he, what's the most common concrete example of heaven that he uses? Over and over again in the Gospels. The wedding feast. The wedding feast. Yeah. He says, yeah, think of the, and, and because the Jews could, could imagine a wedding feast, wow, great food, great wine, okay, we're having a great time for days on end, and um, so to run out of wine at a Jewish wedding was, was an embarrassment. Mary, the good mother, her spiritual maternity is being, you know, exemplified here, and she just walks, you know, approaches her son and says, you know, they have no more wine. And Jesus responds to her, with the words. Do you remember the words, what he says to her? Why is it my, why is it my concern? Well, but before that, he says something. He woman. addresses her. Woman, yeah. He woman. says, woman, of what concern or how does your concern affect me? Okay. There are different ways to translate this. Okay. Uh, but he says, woman. Now, that's odd. Okay. I mean, I, it, I've never walked up to my mother and said, woman... You know, she'd probably give me a good slap in the face, maybe not as a priest, but, you know, you, you don't address your mother as, as a woman. Jesus does that here. Why? Genesis. Yeah, she's the new Eve, okay? A this woman is what will Jesus, crush the head. The woman will, yes, crush the head of the serpent. The woman who, and her seed, okay, uh, will be at enmity with you, Satan. So, and, so, um, at this wedding feast at Cana, <clears throat> Jesus addresses her woman. He will address her at, at the cross, okay, as a woman as well. So, uh, my hour has not yet come. That's what he says. Well, his, his hour, you could say, is, is fulfilled at the crucifixion, but it begins here with this first public miracle. He's manifesting himself as, as uh, the, the Messiah, the Son of God, and Mary says the last words in the gospel that we will hear from her. Do whatever he tells you. So they, Jesus instructs them, fill up uh, six jars of water. These were huge jars. I mean, these were like a, a few feet high. I saw them, okay, in Cana. And filled to the brim, changes the water to wine, okay, as a symbol of, you could say his, on the one hand, the blood that he will shed to establish the new and eternal covenant because, uh, the covenant between Christ, he's the bridegroom, and the church, the bride, is a marital covenant. Okay. 
So it's, it's significant that Jesus does his first public miracle in the context of a wedding because he's instituting the new and eternal covenant which will be brought about by the shedding of his blood. Now, we have 18 seconds left. Do you want to give us sure, a final? Sure, you're listening to Dwight Campbell, one of the great uh, Marian theologians of Our Lady of Mount Carmel Church. And this is WSFI 88.5 FM, 7.50 AM, 224-206-8455. This programming only works with your support.